Today, we speak with one of my all-time favorite homeopathic heroes, UK homeopath, Hilary Dorian. I first learned about Hilary via some online lectures I did through CHE, Center for Homeopathy Education. And then I've purchased every single one of her series of lectures, which she has put on herself. For the homeopaths listening, check the show notes on how to contact Hilary to be added to her mailing list for access to her past and future lectures. I was incredibly lucky to have received mentoring from Hilary a few months back, and it was truly a dream come true to be able to have her help me with some tricky cases. Hilary has been in practice for 40 years, and I think it's a testament to what an incredible career choice homeopathy is. You're able to work your own hours, which is wonderful when you have young children. You get to help people with their health and well-being. You can even work online if you choose. I really hope this episode will inspire many of our listeners to consider homeopathy as a great career choice. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to speak with my all-time favorite hero homeopath, Hilary Dorian. Welcome, Hilary. <laughs> Thank you, Jeannie. I am so the biggest fangirl. Your lectures are so amazing, and they've helped me so much in my practice. Um, they've really challenged me a lot of the time as well. And one of them, one of the examples is, you know, the bowel nosodes where we were taught all that time ago, you give one dose of a remedy and you never repeat it again in three months. And then Hillary comes along and say, gives give it daily for 21 days. And my mind was blown. And now I give it for like eight weeks and I don't even flinch. So <laughs> you just have um, such an amazing way of um, making remedies come alive. So I wonder, Hillary, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you first got introduced to homeopathy? Okay, yeah, uh, a long time ago now. I in nineteen seventy eight, uh, I started my my career uh, by st- I was at university uh, doing something completely different, and a lecture was scheduled. You know, an external lecture uh, about acupuncturist acupuncture, and I thought, you know, that sounds interesting. So, quite untypically for me, in a way, I went to listen to it. And it was like a light bulb had been switched on in my head. And I just became, I have to find a place to study that. This was the days before um, Wi-Fi, before you could type in where can I start. And I had no idea where to start. And then I managed to track down a college in the south of England in Leamington Spa. And I got accepted for a place for the following year. Uh, So I started there in 78. Uh, and I qualified from there in 81. Um, so I've been in practice for, for 40 years now, just over 40 years, in fact. Um, and so I was practicing as a homeopath. And after a couple of years, I decided there was a little gap in my practice. I felt it was hard to treat acute problems. It was hard to treat children who don't like needles. And you can use pressure, but it's not quite the same. So I decided uh, to study homeopathy and when I studied homeopathy I just fell in love with it really Uh, I like the process Uh, I like the breadth of knowledge that's out there I like the detective work I like the more deep human interaction that's necessary so it became um, my love really Um, I did briefly go back and study Chinese herbs as well Um, and um, 
But now my practice is probably 95% homeopathy. I rarely, some of my patients who've been with me since way back when, I will still do a bit of acupuncture for them. Um, but I mostly now do homeopathy um, because it's, it, it, I, I literally fell in love with it and I've never fallen out of love with it. <laughs> After 40 years, that's pretty amazing. After 40 years, yeah. yeah. Now, is, is, would you say there's a little bit of a crossover between Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine and homeopathy or maybe not a crossover, but the one can certainly draw on the other, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I guess the thing about them is that they're both energy medicines um, and that sets them apart from um, orthodox medicine, even from herbal medicine, where we're using physical constituent parts. Um, so they're both very strongly energy medicines. And I think that as homeopaths, um, we can learn quite a lot from TCM to help our patients, even to help refine the remedy selection sometimes by knowing which organs are actually shouting out here, um, adding a weight um, to a certain prescription that if you're deciding between two remedies, it, you might think, actually, this is more liver. I know this from understanding a bit about TCM. And so I'm going to go with the lycopodium rather than the other remedy you might have been thinking of. So yeah, there definitely is a crossover. And whilst I don't treat very much with acupuncture anymore I'm always aware of how much my practice is influenced by the underlying knowledge of TCM and I didn't realize it for a few years and a few people pointed that out who were sitting in with me and then I, I actually I got it and uh, yeah there's definitely a crossover. And I know you've got some lectures coming up on that shortly is that right? Yes, I, I have been. I'm going to be um, teaching early next year for Florida Society Conference, mm -hmm. and so I'm. I've been meant to be doing the Florida Society Conference in person for a couple of years now, and we keep not being able to go because of COVID. Um, and so we're going to try one more time next year. So it's been a little bit of a while coming, and once that has been done, then I'll probably make it available generally. Mm -hmm. But I want to keep it for them. I don't want everyone to have seen it and them not, not get such a successful conference. So I want to keep it under wraps until then. And I'm just spending a bit of time refining it, making it better, mm -hmm. tidying it up. <laughs> Amazing. Now, you also, like I said before, an absolutely incredible lecturer. And you lecture at CHE, the College for Homeopathy mm -hmm. Education. But you also have your own series of lectures that, uh, that mm -hmm. you put out. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is you enjoy about lecturing? And then also for the homeopaths listening, how they can get hold of your lecture series that you personally yeah, do? Sure. I've been lecturing for about 25 years of my practice now, and I really, really enjoy it. I like, again, I like the communication of it. I think if people like my lectures, I think what they do like about them is that they're kind of structured, so it makes them quite accessible. And I think it's just because of the way my mind works. You know, some people, they might do a mind map, and to me that looks just completely chaotic and I think your mind map is such an individual thing mm. somebody else might go I get that completely I am you know and somebody else might say whoa what's that because it's not how my mind works so I just try to distill it down into the sort of essences of what matters to the remedy mm. and I might usually pick out what this person has to say about it what this person has to say about it 
the information that's out there. But then I always bring it back to my experience with it and, and all the things that I've seen time and time again outlined and expanded um, just to try and make it both accessible, fun, hopefully entertaining. Um, and I really enjoy it. The, the process actually of writing the lectures takes a lot longer than you might think. You know, I can imagine. because and it helps me because I have to get all that information that I know I've got in there, but I have to get it into a, a good order that makes sense, that follows a, a nice trajectory, and add in some some cases. So it takes quite a lot of time to get them prepared, um, but I really, really do enjoy doing it. And probably during lockdown, when I wasn't able to go up and uh, do a lot of lectures, when work. Uh, was mainly online and and wasn't so busy because everyone was in a bit of a tailspin. I decided to amuse myself and hopefully other people by um, doing a few lectures. So I started doing this a series of webinars, uh, which has just grown and grown, and the audience for them has grown. And they're all up on Vimeo. At the moment, there's four free lectures, all the no-sodes at the moment. Uh, and I'm going to be doing another free lecture this year. We still have to do medarinum and tuberculinum mm-hmm. uh, and basilinum. You've done oh, medarinum. I've done medarinum. Because <laughs> yeah. do. I remember the story of your daughter. <laughs> that's right. And, that, and that's why I love your lectures, because you bring yeah. real stories into it and real cases. And that's why it gets stuck in your head. It's just the blue yeah. smarties I remember. Oh, yes, my <laughs> Yeah, so it's maybe tuberculinum um, and thuya. I think I'm going yeah. to do. That's that's them. So so they will be in the free lectures, and then there's just a selection of subjects that are uh, you know I'm interested in. You know, lectures on OCD, subject mm. close to my heart because of mm. my younger daughter. Um, and, uh, you know, women's problems, some expanded pictures of remedies, uh, solanums, snakes. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm adding to them. I, I, I plan to do sort of two, maybe two or three of the paid lectures every year and maybe um, one or two free ones every year for everyone who's mm-hmm. uh, joined up. I enjoy it. And uh, I know you get people to email you, then add to your, then they get added to yeah, your if any, list. Yeah, anybody who wants to to join can just email me. My email is just my name, Hilary Dorian. I've got a bit of a weird spelling, which is Hilary with an E. So it's H-I-L-E-R-Y, D-O-R-R-I-A-N, just at AOL.com. So just my name and AOL.com, and that's it. And if you, if you email me and say, can I join up, I will send you a list of what's available and put you on the mailing list. And we'll have that email in the show notes as well. I just okay. want to find out from you, have you got an all-time favourite lecture? Like is there a topic that you've lectured on that has been a favourite for you? Oh, gosh, uh, so many lectures. <laughs> it's an interesting question, Eugenie, because there are some lectures that I, I think, oh, I don't really like teaching this. And it might be because I don't feel my lecture's quite good enough and I feel like maybe I'd like more time to... I don't know what it is that makes a lecture. I really like it. I guess it's lectures that you know from time after time people really enjoy, people laugh at a lot or recognise a lot or say, you know, I love that, thank you. So maybe the ones that become favourites are the ones that you know work really, really well. Uh, I've got a few that I'm not so keen on doing. You know, I teach for CHE, so I do. I teach mm-hmm. a lot of their lectures and I like most of them, but there are some that feel... I particularly like the lectures that I know that there's not that many people teach them 
So the endocrine SAR codes, mm. I enjoy teaching the endocrine SAR codes because I know often for people, there are remedies that they don't know a lot about and they were like, wow, these are really, really useful remedies. And probably bowel nozzles because I love them so much. Mm. And I really like to get that message across to people. These remedies will transform your practice. Uh, so I, I really like to get that. That uh, So, yeah, that might be my number one and the endocrine might be my number two. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of ones that I really enjoy teaching. Well, they happen to be the two that has transformed my practice the most is the Balnozos. And just for our listeners, um, Balnozos, I say kind of like homeopathic probiotics, they're not, but that is the easiest way to explain it just to the general public. We have these incredible remedies that uh, are just able to really, you know, balance your gut flora, but not just that it's got um, a flow on effect. Even, you know, we've got Balnozos that are even good for PTSD type symptoms and for OCD and all sorts of different things. So these are, are powerful remedies and uh, where I found this lecture of yours so helpful is that we there really is limited information on this and mm -hmm. uh, the way that we get taught how to prescribe it is to be super careful of these remedies like you give one dose mm -hmm. and you don't repeat it again in three months like I said earlier and so your lecture has been really transformative and uh, eye-opening for me and the results that I've had in clinic because of that has been amazing but I'll tell yeah. you what the endocrine lecture has been next level. So also for our listeners, we have homeopathic remedies that are made from the hypothalamus, the pineal gland, the pituitary gland, the anterior pituitary, estrogen, progesterone, all of these incredible substances, which can help you with absolutely anything from, you know, actually milk in the breasts when you're not pregnant or breastfeeding the uh, anterior pituitary remedy. I've had such good results with that. And it's actually much more common than we realize yeah. because since your lecture, that's now something, if I suspect that's the remedy, I'll ask some do you happen to have milk in your breasts when you're not breastfeeding? And they're like, oh, yes, I've never told anybody. And you give them this yeah. remedy and it goes away. Um, yeah. Or pineal gland has been amazing here in Perth. We have what we call FIFO workers, fly in, fly out. And right. um, they do shift work and their sleep patterns are completely messed up. And you give them the pineal gland remedy and they sleep so well. So, you know, it's lovely to hear because that's that's ultimately why why we do what we do. And it, it's really nice because sometimes when you're working in practice, you see the immediate effect of your remedies. You know, somebody comes back and they're like, wow. So it's very gratifying when you're teaching. You get the gratification if the students have enjoyed it. But the the reason why we do it, which is to help people in the world, is at a slight remove. So it's always really gratifying when somebody says, I really helped this person or I got to a remedy that I wouldn't have got to and this person was well. So it's lovely to hear that the remedies have been really out there helping people, you know, because that is what it's all about. That's the that's the purpose of disseminating the information, apart from to make a living uh, so that I can keep doing it. Um, it, it is um, really gratifying to know that even with teaching that you're still really helping people uh, through the world you know it's it's uh, so it's nice to hear thank you mm -hmm. well this episode could very quickly turning into me just praising you for an hour because I before <laughs> the the work that you put out has helped me so much in my practice to be able to help so many other people so it's just wonderful now, as a practitioner with four decades of experience, which still blows my mind because you look amazing, <laughs> is uh, how, how has your practice changed over the four decades? How has homeopathy changed over this time? I mean, it's, it sounds like, you know, it's probably a little bit different these 
well, different and not. It's just we have so much more information these days. But how do you feel things yeah. have changed? Um, in some ways, not at all. In the in the process, not at all. In the actual practice, maybe quite a bit. I would say that my patients nowadays are more well read about homeopathy and about health in general. My patients probably nowadays know much more about our diet and the benefits of exercise, healthy lifestyles and so on than maybe they did uh, when I started. An example of when I started as an acupuncturist, if people said to me, so what do you do for a living? And I would say, uh, um, I'm an acupuncturist. They'd say, um, sorry, agriculture. Uh, I'll say, no, not agriculture, acupuncture. Nowadays, even if people haven't tried acupuncture, everybody has heard about it. Um, You know, that's because since I started, we have the internet and the information that's at our disposal. So that's one thing is I think people are a little bit more interested and educated about health matters. The process, which is, you know, somebody comes in and you spend an hour talking to them, um, getting as much information as you can about a particular problem, their history, their family history and their character and all the things that we need to know. Um, We're prescribing a remedy that kind of is a totality match as best as possible for all of those symptoms. And I guess that process will never change. What changes slightly for me with practice, you know, I, I had a fairly classical upbringing in homeopathy, as I guess most people do. Um, but I had a big influence uh, from my uh, friend, teacher and mentor, the, the late, great Robert Davidson, who uh, said that we must practice appropriopathy. That means that sometimes for patients, there's something else that's appropriate that isn't it isn't in the what you do every day. And it opened my eyes to sometimes prescribing more than one remedy at a time. Now, this still causes some sort of level of shock and horror in very tightly classical communities. Mm. And I hate the animosity between the, the kind of classical and other people who might call them practical. I don't really call myself anything because I just do what I do. But sometimes we do get really good results by, I'm always looking for the totality prescription, Mm. but nowadays I might be more likely to add in uh, maybe a thyroid daily to support Mm. the thyroid, you know, a sarcoid or a nosoid or something that's going to do some drainage, support some underlying systems that need supporting. I believe that way we get slightly faster results, not better results, but the benefit of that is that people have limited money, they have limited patience, and it's not that the classical on its own works any less well, we get there in the end, but just that sometimes by the addition of, say, thyroidinum 6C in a certain patient, you might say they'll come back and they'll feel you know, so many changes. And the same even adding in perhaps... um, some cramp bark for somebody with severe period pains, they will eventually go with the constitutional remedies and the acute remedies aren't getting rid of them at a deeper level. But if we can make them comfortable in the short term and allow the deeper remedies to to do their job, it keeps them with us. Mm. If we can keep our patient happy and confident in what we do and stay with us, we can easily get them better. But it healing is a process it takes a long time you know it might be a couple of years before somebody is properly better and if they drop out after two they feel 
oh, waste of money. We feel undervalued and it's just not nice for anyone. So it's really good to be able to kind of keep your patient by understanding what's going on, supporting them as, as best as we can, both with the constitutional remedy and sometimes uh, another support remedy. So that, I would say, is maybe the biggest change over the years is that um, not quite polypharmacy, mm -hmm. as I, I'm not throwing remedies at a patient, but the idea of looking at some physical supports along with the constitution probably has has crept in. That would say maybe that's the biggest change. Being able to do it online, that's another and more that helps. <laughs> and yeah. um, what's your longest standing patient that you've had? Oh, I've got loads that have been with me since almost the month or two that I qualified Aww, way back then. That's um, amazing. I've had some lovely, um, and what's nice is that I've got some really lovely, very, very old patients uh, in their sort of 90s who've been with me since then, who've, who I've seen them since they were younger than I am now. <laughs> and that's nice. And the other thing that's nice is that I have the babies of the babies that I used to treat. And that's lovely. You know, I have um, children that I that I treated with maybe ear infections as they were babies and then as teenagers. And then maybe I didn't see them for a while when they were young women out in the world. And then they got married and had babies. Uh, and, and so they brought their babies. In. So sometimes I've got three generations of a family over that 40 year period. And that's really nice, too. And I tell you, these babies of mums, whose mums used homeopathy, they are super healthy, really. Wow. It does show that kind of generational thing of using homeopathy through the generations, how it strengthens your overall constitution. That's amazing. And then my other question for you was, have you noticed the types of conditions that you're treating have changed in the last 40 years? Maybe uh, not a lot, I wouldn't say. But I definitely see more autoimmune problems mm. than I used to. They've always been around. I've always treated autoimmune problems. But kind of now it seems that almost everybody has some autoimmune problem. And that's, you know, probably the biggest change uh, over the 40 years. Um, as I say, we've always seen it and there was always certain types that were common. But yeah, it just seems that now that that would be uh, one of the biggest changes. And I do think that as homeopaths, we tend to see people who are a bit educated about their health. They know about homeopathy. They're willing to pay to come and see a homeopath. So we're not even looking at the, the worst uh, health in the country. You know, no doubt the world is getting less and less healthy. But the people who are less educated about diet and exercise, who live off fast foods, who uh, will immediately turn to a statin if they've got high cholesterol instead of maybe thinking, right, I'll change my diet, do something about it, change my lifestyle and see if I can get it down naturally first. So we don't even see the sickest people because a lot of the time the sickest people are less educated about life and their diet and their lifestyle um, and therefore aren't always going to come to homeopathy because it's, it's a private medicine, essentially. Mm. Um, and that upsets me a bit. I would like to, uh, you know, there are low-cost clinics for people. Uh, I will always say to people, if, you know, if you, I have some absolutely amazing patients who are on universal credit they've got three kids they are they have very very little money and I will say look if you need something call uh it doesn't matter 
um, it, it, you know, but they're often the people who will most likely say, no, I've saved it. I, I knew how much it was going to be and I've got it here for you. I just love when people who you don't expect to be using homeopathy for themselves and their kids, it's lovely. Um, so I would like to see more of that, more more education, um, really. But um, the types of diseases, yeah, I would just say more autoimmune. And as a mother of two gorgeous women, how has homeopathy empowered you as a mother to be able to raise them to be healthy? Yeah, I mean, that's another gift, isn't it, really, when we have uh, children. I don't know how people get through their lives without homeopathy. <laughs> I, I often honestly, say that too. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think this so often it's saved, saved my life, both literally and figuratively, in so many situations. And I just don't know how people manage without it. And, you know, the one thing is it always gives you hope there'll be a remedy for that. You know, might take a bit of time to find it, but we can help. We always know that. So having little babies and, uh, you know, neither of my children went to the GP. Neither of, I don't think either of them have ever even had an antibiotic, certainly not until they're, they were grown up. And that speaks at volumes, I think, for homeopathy, because I see kids who they've had 10 lots of antibiotics in in 18 months so I think you know having healthy kids and using homeopathy for them speaks for itself so having homeopathy as a mum yeah the chamomile how do people live without chamomile I have no idea <laughs> I often say that without chamomile? <laughs> if, honestly if people knew what it could do they would, sometimes I see people and I say you know I could help that you know I've got some chamomile would you like one it's really soothing I think they're teething and they they like I don't know. I don't know what you're offering. Uh, you know, yeah. no thanks. But even people I know who know me, but just don't use homeopathy. If I say, I, I could give you some chamomilla if you like, it's really good for them teething. And they'll go, oh, that's really sweet. But no, it's okay. Yeah. And I also, if you knew what it would do, you would be biting my hand off. It's funny, isn't it? I said, okay, no worries. People have to come to it in their own time. Um, so having having that, bringing up a family it's such a blessing and the second thing is that I was in private own practice so basically I can take off what time I want what works for me still have my practice maybe quieter in those early years but actually it's why I started having a receptionist my very good friend uh, Teresa said I'll look after Emily whilst you're seeing clients um, and Gradually, as the baby slept, she would pick up the phone and take a message for me. And it was I found it so useful mm. that even after the children went to, to nursery, I said, would you like to still keep working for me? And from that day onwards, I've always had a receptionist. And I can't, if you have a busy practice, I cannot uh, recommend it highly enough. Hmm. I couldn't do half of what I do without my support network behind me. They are just so brilliant. And, you know, they will send out remedies. They deal with all the appointments because they're all homeopaths themselves. They can take an acute case on the phone for me. They just they just allow me to do more than I could if, if they weren't there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that came out of, of working around a, a family, really. So, yeah, as a mum, it's been a blessing in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And now you have a daughter who's a homeopath, so second I generation. Do. Do. Yeah, <laughs> How is she I going do. with her practice and, and what are your hopes and dreams for her practice? Hi, homies. Just a quick break in the episode to ask for your help. Producing this show takes a lot of time and money, and I would really appreciate your support so I can continue producing new episodes for you to enjoy. You can visit www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash hangout to make a donation from as little as $5. Believe me, every little bit helps. I'd also like to invite you all to my Facebook group called Homeopathy Hangout, where we can continue the conversation. And for my Australian listeners, check out my amazing range of homeopathic kits, remedies, crystals, supplements, and more at www.eugeniekruger.com. All right, let's get back to the episode. Thanks for your time. Um, she's doing brilliantly. She oh. is a really, really good practitioner. Mm-hmm. And I don't just say that because I'm her mum. I think her patients would tell you that she's mm-hmm. very insightful. She's got good emotional intelligence. She's got a good brain for um, doing all that's necessary to be a good homeopath. Um, and when she told me, you know, six, seven years ago now, Mum, I'm not really keen on what I'm doing. I'd like to do something that makes a bit of a difference. And I said, okay, what, what are you thinking of? And she said, I'm thinking about homeopathy. I said, oh, brilliant. I said, well, come up to CHC one day, you know, sit in, uh, have a look, see if you think it's for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did. And she said she wanted to study homeopathy. And uh, I said, come and sit in with, with the college at CHC, see if you like it. So she did that for the weekend. And she absolutely loved it. She really, really enjoyed it. And that started her uh, on that journey to practice. And now because I'm semi-retiring, I'm not taking on uh, new clients. And so the new clients are seen by two homeopaths who work very closely with me, one of them being my daughter. So I say I'm going to supervise the cases for the first three sessions, uh, make sure that everything, all the information has been gathered properly, make sure there's a good overview of what remedies are going to be useful here uh, and it's it works really well and uh yeah she, she's uh, she's going to be great and people say to me well you must be really happy that she's a homeopath and I'll say you know um all I ever want for my children is for them to be happy mm. whatever they do and you know as long as they find that happiness that contentment and their place in the world I don't mind what they do but it is nice to have a a homeopath in the family. And, you know, when we chat, we can do the homeopathic shorthand, you know. Well, you know, she was a bit of a platina, so I had to... Other people think, what does that mean? You don't need to just... Yeah, I don't need to explain. We we love that that homeopath. Or you can just... Somebody who's, uh, you know, acting up, you can just go... Like a podium. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you can do a shorthand and it's... it's, uh, yeah it's nice it's it's uh it's good and it's just nice that because you know it, it, it's in her blood she's uh she's been a homeopath for years her dad's a homeopath not uh, my husband who's her stepdad yeah, yeah. <laughs> not Ian Watson um and so uh it's it's almost perhaps um not an unusual that that's what's happened that she's um, wanted to be a homeopath yeah. but yeah it's lovely I should share that joke with our audience as well, that Hillary's husband is called Ian Watson, but I have also just today recorded an episode with the homeopath Ian Watson, and it's not the same guy. So <laughs> just if anyone... there's a lot of confusion. <laughs> 
And the homeopath Ian Watson says he actually quite enjoys that your husband takes, he, he, he's the one that gets all the Facebook friend requests thinking that it's <laughs> yeah. him, but it's not. So <laughs> we were just having a laugh at that before we started recording earlier. So Hilary, I wonder, have you got some, actually, I've got a question here for you. Do you think there's anything that homeopathy can't help with? Can't help with? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, because we help in, on so many different levels. Mm. There are some problems that are surgical problems. Mm. They, are, they have to be uh, dealt with surgically. It might be somebody's spinal realignment. It might be an accident. It might be an appendix. <laughs> yeah. There are some things that are surgical problems. Mm. Now, if we were out in the middle of nowhere with no resources for surgery and only homeopathy, I like to think that perhaps in your situation, we would have got on top of it and not lost you. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to take those risks. We have surgery there. And sometimes it's the best uh, resource. And as homeopaths, I... I think that it's good not to be too militant yeah. about people being, you know, uh, we want everyone to have the choice to understand that people have their own intelligence, mm -hmm. they know their own body, they know their own needs, they've often done a bit of research, and if that's what they've decided is right for them, uh, who am I to say it's not? Mm -hmm. I might give them more education as to why that might not be the best road in in the first instance and that how this is the thing that we could try but you know we have to be respectful of other people's opinions I don't usually find that ordinary medicines get in the way of my prescriptions mm -hmm. and the best way for people to start to think they maybe won't take the ordinary medicines is to get them so much better that they think ah you know this really works for me maybe I'm going to tackle this you know it might be statins I want to tackle their cholesterol without taking uh, a medication anymore so I don't take people off their medications by and large um, and I don't tell them not to take them I might say well we probably can help so that you, you you might not need to but there are situations where people need orthodox medication and that we can't take them off and that well they need surgery but can we help them always whether it's helping them recover after mm. surgery whether it's helping them with their anxiety about the state they're in or their pain levels so a lot of the time we're looking for a kind of cure, if you like, uh, of, of some underlying chronic disease, whether it be eczema or asthma. And fantastically, as homeopaths, we very often get that. And it, it's interesting as well, when my, when my daughter first qualified, a patient who I couldn't take on asked if Emily would see her through one of my patients. She said she's very, very sick. We, she's, you know, she's got cancer. She can't do anything. We just hope that she'd be able to have one last holiday in New York, which is where some of her family, I think, are. And Emily said, oh, my goodness, that's quite a big case to take on. I said, look, it's a case. It's no different to any other case. You look and you find the similarities and you prescribe on the totalities. I said, you only with cases like this, you have to be prepared. Sometimes the patient is going to die. Some people are so sick that you know there isn't time to to but we can support them on 
on that part of their journey, keep them comfortable, keep them calm, bring up their energy. I said, and I have to make peace with the fact that maybe this is one that we're not going to, to save. And I think that's a lesson that we have to learn and not to feel that we've failed because some patients were never going to make it. But what we've done is make their transition easier make that part of and patients will always say thank you for everything you did for for my my mum so she took the patient on and I actually asked her this morning how's how's your patient she said absolutely fantastic now that's four years ago that this lady uh was wondering whether she could have a final holiday in in New York and she said she's all clear She's been given the all clear and she's gone from strength to strength. So she's obviously delighted. The patient's obviously delighted. So we always try. We always have that view. Yes, of course, I can help you. Quite how far I can help you has yet to be seen because we're all individuals and we all have underlying issues that we live with. But yes, I don't think there's anybody that we can't help is the mm-hmm. short answer to your question. <laughs> Excellent. Now, uh, Hilary, you also have a skincare range. I think you co-design it with somebody else. Is that right? That's right. We and have you've, a and uh, you've won some awards uh, recently as yeah, well. Yeah, you've won lots of awards, which is oh, very good. gratifying. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Can um, you tell our audience a little bit about it and where they can get hold of these products? Yeah, the products are for acne. Mm-hmm. They're natural products. They're all completely natural. Rely on uh, herbs and plants uh, in order to try and heal the skin. The you can buy them online. Um, um, skin hyphen genius The essential range is a, a foaming facial cleanser, a moisturizer, and a leave-on overnight gel. Great for for teenage skins. It also we have discovered really. Uh, by serendipity with um, mums using their children's products, that it's brilliant for acne rosacea. Not, you know, but we, well, it's not true acne where you have, um, uh, um, it's actually a vascular problem, mm. but um, the, the, the leave-on gel is also brilliant for rosacea. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a, a just a little, uh, I, I had a skincare company for a long time with my friend and fellow homeopath, Jonathan Stalick. Uh, we sold that company that was making eczema products. And uh after a few years, uh, my, one of my friends approached me and said, I'd like to do this. Will you help me? She does most of the work, to be fair. Um, <laughs> I help with the formulas and so Skin Genius. And that's uh, that's a nice little diversion. That's excellent. Um, I have one more question for you. So it feels like there's uh, a bit of a resurgence in homeopathy. And I don't know, maybe it's in my little microcosm here in Perth where, you know, we've got a group of 800 plus mums who are all passionate about homeopathy. We've got our little group and, and you know, these mothers are just so empowered and, and using homeopathy to do amazing things with their kids. And now many of them are going on to study homeopathy. There's a group yeah. of about, I mean, seven or eight of them now who are studying it. Now, you were very young when you started studying homeopathy and Emily was also very young when you started. Most homeopaths have usually, you know, most of us discover homeopathy through our kids. And then by the time you get to study, you're usually in your mid thirties or sometimes 40 or even later. And sometimes I think that's a good thing because it always feels like you need a little bit of life experience behind you. But you were very young when you started. Emily's very young. And I just spoke to Ian Watson, obviously, before. And he, straight out of school, went to become a homeopath. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who's really young, was wanting to get into homeopathy as a profession straight from school? 
you know, I would say that you refine and you um, change and you expand uh, your consciousness and your abilities as you grow. But there's something really lovely about starting young and, and, and growing with the process. Yeah, I was 19 when I started. Emily probably was 25 when she started. And Ian Watson straight out of school, whereas a lot of the people I was at college with were in their 40s or 50s and even in their 60s. Mm. There's no age bar to homeopathy. I think good homeopaths are people who have a good emotional intelligence and are able to listen and empathise and work out what is going to be helpful. And there are people with good emotional intelligence and empathy at every age mm. um so youth doesn't bar you from being a, a um a person who can listen and understand we may not have been there in our lives but it doesn't mean that we can't understand it there are situations that i've never been in in my life yet but it doesn't mean that i wouldn't be able to understand how it might have felt my job isn't to 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 know how it felt it because how it would how I think it might feel isn't necessarily how it feels for this person. Our job is to find out how they felt. We can all find that out. In fact, I sometimes think that this is something that that homeopaths might do if they don't take a good enough case is, ah, there was a grief. And they're immediately thinking Natremur or Mm. Ignatia, their father died. When I say to students, so uh, Ignatia, why? Uh, Well, her father had just died. I said, and how did she feel about that? Well, I didn't ask. Mm. So I said, you know, when you have a timeline and you know what happened to them when they were 13, 17, 21, 20, you know what happened to them all the way through their lives, but you don't know how they felt about any of it. So you're prescribing for yourself. You're prescribing for how you would have felt in those mm. situations. My father died and I was in a terror. You know, I said, he might have beaten her senseless. She might have thought, great, I've got rid of the old bugger. We don't know unless we ask, you know. So our experience is understanding how a situation might feel because we've been there. But if we're not careful, we can impose our own view of what happened. Whereas when you're young, you maybe don't have that because you haven't been divorced. You maybe haven't lost a parent. You maybe haven't had a child. So you're not putting your own, imposing your own view on it. And you're less likely to be prescribing for yourself and fully prescribing for the other person. Just a thought. Um, So I think there's advantages at every age, you know, when you do have experience, when you know how to deal with something, when you're not embarrassed by grief or or by uh, sexual stuff or, you know, there's things that come with experience. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some brilliant things that you have from starting young. I love that you've said that. That's so great. And I just want to check, Hilary, is there anything else that you want to bring across to our audience and also anywhere else that they can get hold of you? We've got the email address that I'll put in the show notes for any homeopaths who are interested in your lectures. There's Skin Genius, if anyone wants to get get hold of those those products. Anything else that you want to promote to the general? If anybody wants to see any of our wonderful homeopaths under my supervision, I can give you the clinic number, uh, which they can ring, leave a message, Somebody will always get back to you. Um, and that is, if you're out of the UK, 0044-1342-836985. Uh, and that's about it. But, you know, your, your, your 
talking about the young people coming into homeopathy and how in doing what you're doing and teaching all these young people, I think that's fantastic. And it's a, a sort of testament to your enthusiasm uh, passing down to these people who think, yeah, I can do it. You know, they try homeopathy. It works. I can do it. And then I'd love to be like Eugenie doing that. I, you know, it's it's marvellous, I think, to do that, to encourage that younger generation into homeopathy. We have to encourage the younger generation. And otherwise, uh, we're, we're, we're not going to keep going through the generation so I think that's a great testament to your uh, what you do out there in the community as well as in your practice so thank yeah, you brilliant. so much uh you know my my son is 10 and my daughter is seven and she's been saying since she was five that she's going to be be a homeopath and work with me but she said she wants to be an animal homeopath and on the weekend she's going to be an artist so you know I they are what, already. Yeah. Um, they are what drive me because I want homeopathy alive and thrive for them when they are adults so they can you know they are my reason for living they're my reason for doing what I do I want to keep homeopathy alive for hopefully grandchildren one day so they can use it and have access to this safe natural medicine brilliant yeah I think that's absolutely brilliant oh well thank you so much for your time today Hilary um it's a pleasure it's just wonderful chatting with you and I know you're about to jet off on a plane and then on a boat so enjoy and uh, have a great holiday I'll do my very very best to enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> don't think it'll be too hard somehow I'll talk with you soon bye-bye yeah take care thanks Eugenie bye bye